Bags, this time next week, we will be watching meaningful NCAA tournament games. It's been two years now since we've done that, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I was going to say, be careful because, you know, a year ago, we were saying we're going to be watching meaningful games a week from now, and it didn't happen. But things are different this year. We've come a long way in a long year. And despite some COVID issues right now, we are going to have a tournament. We've got breaking news, as Bags just alluded to, in the world of college basketball, but also in the NFL. A lot to get to on this Friday, including our guest, Syracuse reporter Matt Gutierrez from The Athletic. Let's go. You're watching Honorado and Bagnardi. In this case, two is not better than one. Who are any of these guys? You're doubling it. You're doubling it. That's major. They were the best team last year, and they just got a whole lot better. This is Honorado and Bagnardi. Driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet. Our thanks to our guys at Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet, where I got my beautiful brand new blazer, the 2021, the Herodin family, Andy Gelcher, everybody who has uh, supported us there. Thank you to them. Um, Shawnee, let's get to this, man. The breaking news in the NFL, right, before we deal with what's going on in college basketball with conference tournaments underway, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers have a new contract. It's a four-year contract extension. People are going to say he's 43 years old. He's going to play for four more years. Not exactly. What this does is it frees up a ton of salary cap space for Tampa Bay to just continue to build upon their Super Bowl championship from last year. It keeps Brady under contract now one more year than he would have been. So he's got 2021 and 2022 now under contract in Tampa Bay. But that $19 million bags, this is Brady doing what Brady has always done, finding a way to take a little bit less, right, for the betterment of the team and the roster. And that's why when you look at his success, it's like, well, yeah, he's surrounded oftentimes by so many other good players, even if they aren't first-round wide receiver draft picks. You know why this bothers me? Yeah, I know why it bothers you. Because he's going to win again. Yes, he's going to win again. And also because it makes me want to like the guy. This is the problem I have with Brady. I want to not like him because I don't like him. But then he does something like this and I want to like him, right? Because this is what you want as a sports fan, right? You want the big players, the star players, especially the ones on your team, to make individual sacrifices for the betterment of the team. And too often we don't see it in sports. Now, we see it in basketball sometimes, but basketball is a little different where guys can still – you know, have their cake and eat it too with getting to play with uh, teammates that they want and, you know, still get paid pretty well. Not that Brady's not getting paid well, but, you know, this is the kind of move, again, that you just love to see as a fan because it's what you want players to do, to have a team-first mentality. We just don't see enough. You look at a contract like Dak Prescott just signed and you think, well, gee, that doesn't leave much to go around for anybody else. And as a fan, you want the Brady, not the Prescott. And it's yep. it's crazy to me to think that because you know you want you want guys to get paid. You want them to get paid what they're worth. And you you know sometimes we find ourselves rooting for players in in different situations with teams where maybe we feel like they've been wronged or they're not getting what they're worth. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, 
and a guy puts team first, that's what we really want as a fan. Now, look, the, the I, I hear what you're saying on Dak. I get it because he's the most recent QB to sign a mega deal and it's $40 million a year. But if I'm Dak, if I'm in that position, I've been jerked around by Dallas the way he was, I'm soaking them too. I'm getting mine. I know that sounds selfish, but but in my opinion, the Cowboys didn't make Dak, if, if I'm Dak, right, they didn't make me enough of a priority for me to say, you know what, I'm going to cut your break. Let's just sign it for 30 instead of 40, and now we've got a little bit more to kind of spread out. Brady, obviously, is in a much different point in his career. But but don't be fooled by this act and say, well, he's 43. He's made all – yeah, he's made a lot of money already. But this is something Brady has routinely done. And we yeah. saw LeBron do it even. LeBron was never the highest-paid player in the NBA at any point in his career until he signed the deal with the Lakers. LeBron always gave a little bit back to try to make sure the team around him was better. So LeBron, from that superstar standpoint, was like, I want to win. I want to win. And look, if you're the best in your sport, the way Brady is, the way LeBron is, you're making so much off the court or off the field that your in-sport salary doesn't have to be the highest. Your Nike endorsement, your Under Armour endorsement, your UGG endorsement is making up for whatever you may not be getting paid by your team. Great okay, move well, by again. Yeah, how many star players, super talented players, are making a ton in endorsements and still don't do something like this? Most of oh, them. Yeah. No, most right. of them want as much as they can get. Right. And, and I don't really fault them. I, I am more likely to, like you said, credit the guys who are willing to take less. I'm never going to fault a guy for taking as much as he can possibly get, but I don't ever want to hear that it isn't about the money. Right. Of course. I don't want to hear that. No. And you can't fault somebody. I mean, look, this is, this is a business as we are so often reminded about the business of sports and how teams will often think business first and players will think business first. And that's okay. I mean, people do that in all walks of life and all different career paths. And, you look at it, sports is really the only area where we look at it and say, boy, that's kind of selfish. Or some, somebody shouldn't go for the most amount of money they want in their career. Like, no, that's not how it works in the world of business or any other career that we're going to examine that closely. So go get paid. I'm, I'm okay with that. But as a fan, as a sports fan, as a fan of individual teams like we are, this is what you want out of your guys on your team to put the team first. And ultimately, look, Brady knows this. When you do that and you win, it, it, it winds up being you first anyway in the grand scheme of things, right? Okay. Because we're, we constantly talk about Brady more than we're going to talk about the Bucs. And when he was in New England, it was Brady and Belichick before it was the Patriots. Brady understands winning kind of cures all of that. So – by putting team first and winning first, in the end, it helps the individual more as well. And some background here too, right? The Bucks just franchise tagged Chris Godwin this week. I think Brady understands having those weapons is paramount for him at this age. So if it allows Tampa Bay to work out a long-term deal with Godwin before the, I believe it's the July deadline when you tag a guy, get that done, right? Maybe I've left enough money on the table for them to get Godwin done. Maybe I've left enough money on the table to keep Gronk. Maybe I've left enough money on the table to bring Antonio Brown. Like this is, 
this is not Tom Brady being like, you know what? Tampa Bay ownership is hurting for money. Right. Let me help them out. No, this is about Tom Brady finding a way to win football games uh, again next year. All right, here's another quarterback in the news this morning. Again, breaking news across the NFL on a Friday in March. This this sport never rests. No. And it is Cam Newton. This one surprised me when I saw it at 8.30 this morning or whatever time it was. Cam Newton back to the Patriots bags when there was so much talk about Boy, wouldn't New England be the perfect landing spot for Deshaun Watson? Wouldn't that just be the typical Belichick move? He's always playing chess while everybody's playing checkers. Go get Deshaun Watson. Or what if the Patriots brought Jimmy Garoppolo back? Because maybe his cap hit in San Francisco is too great. Belichick didn't want to trade Jimmy G in the first place. Robert Kraft made him do it because Brady was upset with the situation. Go get Garoppolo from the 49. No. It's Cam Newton back to play quarterback after what was a very average season from Cam last year in New England. Very average. And I think the part of it that surprises me the most is that obviously Belichick had to sign off on this, give his full approval, or this doesn't happen. And and that's what, as Jeff Casey says, is shocking. Because it's like, wait a minute, Belichick wants to run it back with Cam Newton? That's what I find the hardest to believe about this because, like you say, Belichick, he's really the one who's playing chess while others are playing checkers and can do it not just on the field but off the field. And he finds ways to bring in guys who he has a lot of faith in, even if others maybe don't, right? And I I just don't – I'm not sure about this one. I don't get why he would have the faith in Cam because obviously he does to some level or this wouldn't have happened based on what we saw last year. Maybe there's some forethought here, though. What if New England is already steps ahead of us, even as we talk about it this morning, and they know we're aggressive in the draft? End of April, we are moving up. We are getting one of these top four quarterbacks in the draft. We don't know that that guy's going to be ready to play week one. Let's bring Cam back and let's draft a guy who maybe by midseason, if we aren't a playoff team, is in there and he's our guy. Maybe the rookie comes in, Bags, and he takes the job from Cam in camp. Then you've got Newton as a backup and a veteran who can help along the way. Maybe New England is thinking that far down the road to say, we don't need Deshaun Watson And we don't need Jimmy Garoppolo, guys in their 20s, who are going to be our quarterback for the next four, five, six years because we plan on drafting somebody. So Cam, who will be 32 in May, can be our guy for next year, one-year deal. Then we know we're moving to whoever we draft this year. Is this Honorado mock draft 1.0 with trades in the mix as well? Um. Look, it's possible, and it is only a one-year deal, so maybe it is about sort of, you know, stemming some time here. But that's not really what we've seen from Belichick, right? Like, Belichick – and maybe maybe we just have to accept the fact that New England is in a little bit of a transitional period. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at this from the perspective of Belichick – just gears up for an attack to win now every year. And maybe this is, like you say, not so much a win now mentality as much as it is uh, 
building toward the future, which is not really what we've had to see New England do for what two decades now. So, okay, maybe, maybe. Um, does Brady like, or does Brady does does Belichick like Newton though? I mean, is do they even like each other? Is what I'm curious about. Do the personalities mix? That's what Belichick and Brady didn't get along at the end. I think I think there's Cam's a different personality than Brady, obviously. And, and everything you hear about Cam Newton is how teammates love him, right? Mm-hmm. He's this big personality, but he's a positive guy. Um, he cares about his teammates. He cares about the game. He wants to win. His execution just isn't always the best. That that has always been my opinion on him. It, to, the, the only fault I've found in him is, is his, his ability to stand in the pocket and make accurate throws downfield. Um, if he isn't healthy, forget it. Because the 12 rushing touchdowns you see on your screen, that is what makes him a game changer. That's why he was the MVP when the Panthers went 15-1 and and onto a Super Bowl appearance. Because of his ability to run the ball, if you just simply limit him to a passer – he isn't a very effective NFL quarterback. That's why I'm saying I don't think the Patriots are going into this some coming year like, yes, Cam is our guy. We plan on winning with Cam. I really think, and I know Jeff threw it in the chat here too, I really think that this is a move with something bigger coming in the future. And not a trade for Watson and not a trade for Garoppolo. This is about drafting a guy in April. So this this is for you not one more chance with let's see if we can return this guy to MVP form. They didn't see anything last year. Uh, There's nothing happening off the field that would make them think, okay, let's give this guy one more year to prove maybe he's still got that in the tank. Well, yeah, I don't think you're giving a guy $14 million just like, hey, we know you're going to be on the bench. But I mean, it's decent money. Yeah, but but I don't think this is like all chips into the center of the table on Cam. Okay. To me, that would be a serious misread by a franchise that generally doesn't doesn't miss that that badly. Yeah, way I, I see it anyway. I agree. With more breaking news this morning, two bags. Duke is out of the ACC tournament because of a, a positive COVID test. Now Virginia, the number one seed out of the conference tournament, they just beat Syracuse yesterday, and we'll have a Syracuse reporter, Matt Gutierrez, coming up on the show. At 11.30, so 15 minutes from now. But the Cavaliers are now out, Bags. A positive test within their program. Again, we don't know if it's a player, if it's a trainer, if it's a coach, but someone in that Tier 1 personnel, the verbiage we've been using all year, had a positive test. Virginia's out, and this is what makes things tricky here because in order to make the NCAA tournament, in order to get to Indianapolis, every team – has to prove seven consecutive days of negative tests. This is Friday. Virginia would play either Friday or Saturday of next week. That seven-day window is tight. If if they don't start producing negative tests as early as tomorrow, now you're talking about UVA, which would be a four-seed in Joe Lunardi's bracketology, missing out altogether on the Indy experience. Can I ask you what bonehead came up with seven straight days? I mean, you mean to tell me if a team goes four straight days yeah. with negative tests that there's going to be a potential problem for the fifth? Day? Like, I mean, I get it. You have to have a number. You have to come up with something. But that seems excessive to me. And that's that's really part of the problem I've had with this 
from the beginning is that some of these rules, some of these regulations, some of these restrictions seem to be a little bit arbitrary. You know, when, when, when the things, when decisions are being made based on the science and based on the facts, then that's great. But it feels like they build in some padding as well. And yeah. I don't know that yep. we need that padding built in given where we are right now with the state of things. Like I said, if these teams go four straight days, four straight days, you have negative tests, you're not going to let them play in the tournament? I mean, that's I, I, I could even live with three. A 72-hour window, you've produced three straight days of negative tests. You're going to get on the plane. You're going to go to Indianapolis. Once you're there, they may be testing every day once they're in that bubble. Yeah atmosphere. Uh, let me just throw this up here real quick because I was wrong on this too until a couple of days ago and I took a closer look. Jeff is saying they would play Wednesday, uh, Thursday or Friday. They wouldn't. That's the traditional NCAA tournament schedule. This year, the play-in games, they're playing all four of them on Thursday and then into the tournament games, the true tournament games of 68, Friday and Saturday. So you're going to go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday this year, as opposed to the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of the first four days. So if everything's shifted just a little bit because they want to give teams the appropriate, like you said, the appropriate amount of time to get to Indianapolis safely, show those negative tests, and then get on the court. Here's one thing, too, and we'll ask Matthew Gutierrez this, Bags, when we have him on. He covers the orange for the athletic. Who just played Virginia yesterday? Yeah, the cues. Everybody breathing and sweating on everyone for 40 minutes? Yeah. So let's – if you're a Syracuse fan, you hold your breath now. You don't have to play any more games, which is which is good. But wait until Sunday, Monday, and hold your breath for those tests to make sure nobody in that Tier 1 level comes back with a positive. If they do, right, I mean, we all can assume – the direct line back to this game against Virginia when somebody within the program had a positive. Again, we don't know if it's a player, right. could have been a coach, but but there may be more positives to come from UVA here. It may not just be the one. I get it. And look, the NCAA, the, the biggest thing they have to worry about, of course, is the tournament. I mean, you don't want a potential, a potentially, you know, good team not making it because. Uh, you know, now you start to question, well, the, you know, do we have a real legitimate tournament here if the old, we're leaving schools out? And we know that Duke, you know, they they were not going to win the thing anyway. They yeah. should not make the tournament. So that they're like them having their issue, it's not a big deal. But if we see more of this here in the coming days and the tournament, the, the big tournament is now put in question in terms of its legitimacy, that would really stink. But keep in mind – the most important thing, the thing they're focused on is just playing this tournament. They cannot and will not have it be two years in a row where this thing does not get played. So I understand being careful. I get it. It's getting this played is is the number one priority as it should be. But I think now a year in, knowing what we know, I think you can allow for some more flexibility. Um, and I would hope that I would hope that Virginia gets in here, regardless of what we see, unless there's a real blow up within the team, obviously, that they would then still find a way to let them in because they should be there. Isn't it crazy, man? The random I'll, I'll use the word randomness here. People may disagree. The randomness with this virus, Duke and Virginia traveling 
all up and down the East Coast all season long, no problems, no pauses, no hiccups. And then you get in the conference tournament, you go to Greensboro, North Carolina, where everybody's together, and boom, all of a sudden now you've got, you know, two teams that get knocked out. Ash makes a good point here because Jeff Casey said Syracuse going to sweat both ways, right? They're right. hoping to get in. Now you're hoping you're eligible to be in. Two reasons to sweat, Ash says. And, and Shawnee, to your point, the NCAA is going to play this. This is like planning a wedding in a pandemic. Okay, you're allowed, about. you're allowed 150 guests. Yeah. So you invite 150, or in the tournament's case, 68. Mm-hmm. And if 10 of them can't go, well, you got your next 10 ready in line. Here's the here's the list of the next 10, right? Lunardi does the next four, the first four, the last four. Yeah. He's got them loaded in the chamber already. If you invite 68 teams... And four of them can't go. Lunardi's already got figured out. Here are the next four. If eight can't go, here are the the, the next eight that would be would be eligible or, right, or have right. earned their way to that bubble. Okay, so let me ask you: so You're getting married in May. Yeah. You do you have guests on the bubble? Oh, we have bubble guests. Really? Sure, you have to. Wow. So there are people right now. Do they know they're on the bubble? Of course not. Okay, so you have guests who who are sitting there right now. Thinking they're not going, who could be lit in, or who think who are thinking they're going and who could be kept out. All I will say is we are allowed 150 people, max. Yeah. And the save the dates that went out, God, it feels like two years ago now, was over 150. Okay. But you're gonna invite 150 people. There will be people who are not comfortable traveling. Sure. Oh, of course. Or aren't vaccinated and don't want to be in a group of people. We get that. Okay. If if you if you can't come, don't want to come, we completely understand that. There are other people. Yeah, we want to celebrate with as many people as we can safely do. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, back to Virginia here. I think that you know the NCAA has to understand where we are. If you take a step back and look at the bigger picture of coronavirus, right? We're talking about. Within, according to the president, a little over a month from having enough vaccine available for every adult in the country. So I get it. You want to be careful. You don't want something to blow up. You don't want it to be the COVID tournament where you now have a team that has it in there and then it's spread and it, it spreads like like the bracket. Right. It just goes through right. a and it becomes a nightmare. Um, but look at the big picture of where we are understand how important it is to have this tournament and understand how important it is to have the right teams in this tournament and then make the decision. You know, I think having rules, having guidelines is important, but if, if there comes a time where you might need to have a little bit of flexibility or make an adjustment to something, I would just hope that the NCAA is open to that. If they can just take a step back and consider all of the elements in play. All right, Jeff's question, what happens if a test comes back after a first-round win? Does a bubble team take the spot in the third round or farther? I I think, and I don't know, but I think you just advance teams. Right. Let's say, say, we'll just keep using Syracuse here. Let's say Syracuse wins their first-round game, Mm -hmm. okay? As an 11 seed, they beat six-seeded Creighton. Yeah. Syracuse is moving on to the round of 32, but they pop a positive test. Well, in my opinion, 
Creighton's out, okay. I guess you could try to bring them back. But Creighton's out, and now Syracuse is out. So that, that would be the three seed they would be playing, assuming they win their first round game. I think three just moves on. So three gets, they win their first round game to the round of 32. Then they get pushed into the Sweet 16. That, that, to me, that's I the only it. way to do it. I get it, and I agree it's the only way. I'm shaking my head because that's terrible. And once we start having a tournament like that where a team has played, you know, one game going against a team that's had to survive two or three rounds for whatever reason. Now we're looking at you got to question the legitimacy of this thing, and that's what we don't want. So I get it. Again, it's more important for the NCAA to protect against that than it is anything else because when the tournament itself really gets affected, that's when all eyes are going to be on it and people are going to say, yeah, this thing, this thing's just not legit this year versus – keep teams out now or whatever, and then protect the tournament itself. And as long as the tournament goes off without a hitch, then, you know, a year from now, nobody's even going to remember who was kept out. It's, you know, they, so I, I understand it. And I feel like you might think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I get where the league is coming from and wanting to protect this thing. But at the same time, I think now we're at a point where you can do that. You can protect it and still, maybe allow for more leeway than you would have in the past, knowing what we know now about the virus and where we are in terms of fighting it and how close we are with vaccines and all of that stuff. I just, I just want the league, the, the NCAA rather, to take everything into consideration. Now let's put a bow on a local season here in the 518 bags, and that is Siena losing to Iona in the MAC tournament. And, you know, I think you'll laugh at this number, but 0-11 is 0-11. Like, I, I know it I know it doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't be relevant because the players and the coaches have obviously changed dramatically from that first meeting when it was the first loss to the Gales and the Mac. But but 0-11 all time now, and and I don't I, I'm not I'm not telling you I'm buying into the fact that like Jalen Pickett and Manny Camper are thinking, boy, Iona. Sienna can't beat this team in the MAC tournament. We're probably not going to win today. I don't. I don't buy into any of that at all. No. But the number jumps out at you, man. It does jump out. And look, some of these things. I, I think I just told you the other day that the Nets had beaten the Spurs before the All Star break. Right? And it was the first time they won in San Antonio since the 2003 NBA Finals. Now, obviously, it's different because you know you had a long run there of guys like. Tim Duncan and Parker and Ginola, who you're constantly going up against. But the Nets players, I mean, talking over 20 years, guys change, things change up. You know, there's if you look at that big of a history, there are patterns that develop, right? It's about San Antonio's culture of winning and how good they are always at home. And I think when you have a streak like this, despite players changing, coaches changing, things changing, when it's when it gets to be this big, there's something to it. So I'm not going to totally sneeze okay. at it or, or devalue it. I think there's a little something to that. But to your point, I agree that it's not something that is, is necessarily in anybody's head as they go into a game. You know What exactly goes into it? I'm not sure. Maybe several things, but um, it's not necessarily an indicator of what's going to happen next. But I think there is something to that when you look at you know, how the programs are built and just how they've matched up. And I hate it for Siena, man, because last year they're the number one seed. They're the best team in that MAC tournament. They're going to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and that obviously everything changed. And this year they're the top seed again. 
they've got maybe the two best players in the entire conference and Pickett and Camper, and it just you run into an Iona team that was in the eight nine game, right? A, a, a team that's way too talented to be. I'm not saying that Siena would have beaten Iona had they met in the MAC championship, but just by some bad luck, they get the Gales in the quarters instead of the championship game because Iona was in the eight nine game. They missed a good bulk of the the final stretch because of COVID. And Patino said, "We're good. We're at the requisite number of games." We're taking the rest of the regular season off, essentially, and we'll we'll get ready for the conference tournament. And he had his guys ready, clearly. I say too bad when you had to play him because you got to get through him anyway. Go win that game. And Sienna had their opportunities in that game, should have won that game, and they didn't. So it is what it is. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm with you, especially after everything the team went through. Last year really felt like a missed opportunity, and I was really hoping and believing that this year would be kind of us against the world type of thing, and they would they would find a way through and, and, and win the championship and, and get to the big dance, and you're right. It's disappointing, but I think Coach Carm is a good coach. I think they, they're building a good program there with him, and hopefully that will continue now moving forward. And this will give us some time to catch up with Coach Carm about his – card collecting habits that have yeah. returned. I wonder if he's in the top shot game that everybody is on now with blockchains and NFTs and all types of non-fungible tokens and virtual, we are in a virtual world, virtual money and cards now. I wonder if Carmel dive into some of Do that. Do you really wonder? Do you really wonder? You know he's not into that. I don't know, man. Okay. Let's find out. What's time on? I mean, that everything else is trending that way. It wouldn't surprise me now if he uses this offseason to get, like, to to elevate his card collecting game. Right. Okay. To do it virtually. All right. Syracuse uh, lost a heartbreaker yesterday, but I'm telling you, Bags, I, I think, and we'll get an expert's opinion on this, Matthew Gutierrez, who covers the team for the athletic, coming up on the other side of this break. But I think the Orange have decidedly done enough to get in, so much so that I don't really love where Joe Lenardi currently has Syracuse in his bracketology. Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic, next on Honorado and Bagnardi. I lead a busy lifestyle and wanted a vehicle with the space I need and loaded with bells and whistles. Dre was fun to work with and found a great deal for me to find new roads at Mohawk Chevrolet. And right now, you should reserve your 2021 Silverado because we can't keep them in stock during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. Or cash in on 0.9 financing on select 2020 models for up to 72 months right now during truck month at Mohawk Chevrolet. I'm Kimmy from Clifton Park, and that's my story, and this is my Mohawk Chevrolet, where they always go out of their way to please you. We are driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet here on Arado and Bagnardi. Uh, we are into, <laughs> we're like halfway into the championship game of the ACC tournament because Virginia bowing out with COVID protocols has pushed Georgia Tech into the title game and they'll play the winner of Florida State 
North Carolina. So a lot to sort through here. But the but the thing that's top of mind for everybody bags in the Capital Region, of course, is whether or not Syracuse has done enough to get in. And Matthew Gutierrez covers the team. And he, I, he, I pulled a comment off his Twitter feed yesterday in terms of what Jim Beheim said about what he thinks his team has done to uh, boost its resume. We'll get to all that here with Matthew Gutierrez, who covers Syracuse for The Athletic. What's up, Matt? Thanks for coming on the show here. I'm glad that we could kind of keep the relationship going from the radio days now to this virtual world. How are you? Good, good. I appreciate you guys having me. You thinking of me, Chris, Sean, good to be on here. Uh, been an eventful morning, to say the least. I'm sure I, I heard you guys touch on it for a second there. And <laughs> just hopefully we can talk just basketball, right? But but here we are, kind of like like you said, planning a wedding in a pandemic. I thought that was a cool uh, analogy. I mean, I don't envy the people who have to deal with the, the logistics right now. That's for sure. All right. So let's say Syracuse come. Let's just assume, Matthew, that Syracuse comes out of this negative and clear right because I think there's there's that moment now that this orange program is going to have like hey wait that's the team we just played for 40 minutes um and we don't know if it was a player or a coach or just a trainer staff member type let's assume Syracuse is is negative here Matt have the orange done enough to get to Indianapolis I think they have um First of all, I think they're, as of right now, probably a, a first four play-in game. And we know what happened three years ago, right? When that happened, um, they, they go to Dayton, Ohio, and and I think they beat Arizona State. Um, and then go on a run, beat TCU, upset Michigan State in what was essentially a, a road game <laughs> in Detroit there. I remember being there. It was just green and green and white at the um, arena there. And obviously the Sweet 16 for Q's two years after the Final Four, which was also a bubble team. I think we're in the same boat. I think this is a bubble team, but I think they're in. They've never been in this good of a position um, before this season. They're playing what I think is probably their best stretch of basketball in three years since the Sweet 16 run. Uh, they've been, you know, obviously a top 25 offense has been excellent. The defense was below average to average most of the year, but that's picked up of late and they've gotten key stops. So I think they're in. You, you heard Coach Bam. Uh, yesterday make the point I mean look they, they only have the one quadrant one win, win right now uh, but they've taken care of pretty much everyone else I mean they've beaten all the teams they're supposed to aside from Pittsburgh you know I think if there were a moment um, earlier this week maybe where you were going to nitpick it would be the two bad losses to Pitt Pitt was only six and ten in the ACC and then the only the one quadrant one win and I, I was a little bit um, uh, you know I thought that was going to kind of bite them in the end, right? Those those aspects of the resume. But to their credit, they go out, BNC State. Buddy Beheim drops then a career high yesterday, thirty one points. Couldn't basically couldn't miss. And uh, here they are now. I think they're I think they're in. I don't think they're uh, safely in, but I think they're going to be probably like that playing game or or sort of in that 10, 11, 12 range somewhere in there. So you may have just answered it there with Pitt, but what what should they be worried about? And ultimately, if there's something that does keep them out, what do you think it'll be in the end? Yeah, I think again, it's going to be the quad one win. I mean, they only have the one the one win. It's it's over NC State, and NC State's barely a quadrant one win. Uh, they're not a tournament team. NC State is barely over 500. They were playing well of late, um, but I just I don't think. Um, you know, the, the bubble is, is pretty weak this year and soft. I think that favors Q's. You saw the results the past couple of days. It's almost like someone destined for Syracuse to, to get in. I mean, uh, pretty much every scenario 
has worked out for them. Obviously, you know, bearing COVID here, knock on wood, everyone's healthy and safe um, in that regard. But for sure, I think it was it was the quad one issue. Uh, look, some people have said, you know, Syracuse didn't get enough quadrant one games at home. Um, I get that, but at the same time, the quad one system is designed to be mostly road games. A quad one win is usually going to be a road win. That's just how the system works across the board. Um, you're not going to have a lot of quad one home opportunities anyway. They would have had, I think, Florida State. That would have been about it. Uh, and then you, if you lose that game, if the game did get played um, and you lose, then it's then it doesn't look good on your resume. So I don't know if you necessarily can use that right uh, as part of it. You know, teams are getting games canceled all the time this season. Cuse uh, obviously is, you know, in fairness, had had a number of um, pauses before the season, and then right around the holidays, the starting backcourt both had COVID and had legit symptoms. Joseph Gerard, obviously a 518 guy, and Buddy Beheim, um, both said they had a lot of fatigue, couldn't couldn't taste anything. I think Joe or Buddy said they, they tried hot sauce and just couldn't couldn't even taste anything. So uh, they they've been through it though, and in all seriousness, and for them to. I think have grown throughout the season is is a good sign. I think they they do pass the quote unquote eye test as well. All right, so Matt, you've already referenced that run three years ago when the uh, the entire country was like Syracuse doesn't belong, and then they end up in the Final Four. And I I'm not in the boat that like just because you make this great run in the tournament you belonged in the first place. Sometimes things just kind of fall in your favor. And it often seems like Syracuse is always that team that surprises people. And maybe it's the zone. Is this team equipped to be a first four competitor and then make a run? I'm not going to say the final four, but win multiple games in this tournament. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sweet 16 final fours as at that point. I mean, if you do that, you, you tip your cap, right? You, no predicting that at all, really, with any of these teams, except maybe, you know, Gonzaga and Alabama and Baylor and, and a few you know outliers. Anyone susceptible, uh, Virginia will tell you to being a great team and then just losing in the first round. I will say, uh, yeah, this team is is capable of making a run. I mean, for the most part, a lot of Syracuse teams are. I think the zone certainly plays a role. You're usually playing in the tournament a team you don't play in the regular season. They haven't seen a zone much or haven't seen a Syracuse zone before. And, you know, even a, a Syracuse defense that really hasn't been what we're used to the last two years, just not uh, quite that that stalwart defense we've seen for so long. Uh, it's still respectable. There's still a top 90 defense in the country, um, which isn't, you know, great, but it's it'll it's enough, I think, to get enough stops um, against a team that's unfamiliar against it. And then to Syracuse's credit, I mean, this offense – from 2013 to 2018 was at times hard to watch if you're a Syracuse fan. I mean, there were times they had good players. They just were not scoring a lot. Even the Final Four team, they had some struggles. The, the Sweet 16 year, I mean, it was sometimes a miracle when they cracked 60 or 65 points. Uh, but they had the fifth best defense in the country that year. So this year, it's almost the reverse. They have a really explosive offense. You saw it this week, um, obviously carried by Buddy, but they have a number of good shooters and pieces. Uh, it's really that defense that has to hold it up. But yeah, Beham said, look, we're going to, he knows there'll be a good tournament team if they get in. I believe it. I think this is a team that, you know, could obviously anyone could flop in the first round. I also think this is a team that could get hot and easily rip off two, three wins, just like that, the way they score the ball. 
I'm curious what your overall impressions of, of Jim Beheimar because, you know, he's obviously a guy who I think a lot of people, of course, re- respect his, his long history there and the success he's had. And then I feel like, you know, he rubs some people the wrong way as well at times. Is he still a guy? Is he still the best guy to be coaching this team? Does he still get the most out of his players that he could? And is he the right guy, you know, going into tournament time because of all that experience? Is he still a guy that you really have a lot of faith in as being the best fit for the head coach of Syracuse basketball? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to address there, but, you know, off the top, for sure. I mean, he's the, you know, he's been at 45 years. He, um, you know, obviously the, the regular seasons, and he's acknowledged it, haven't been what they were, uh, you know, the past few years. They've been a, basically a 500 ACC team since joining the conference um, almost eight years ago now, right, 2013-14. Uh, was that dominant year they won, you know, 20 plus games in a row and, and obviously lost six of their last nine. But, you know, since then, they've been a they've been a kind of middle of the pack ACC team that then has exploded on two nice runs, Final Four and a Sweet 16. I think inside the Syracuse program, they're just happy, as Beheim has said, to get in the tournament at this point and then make a run. And they're well equipped for those runs. Like you said, with the zone and Beheim's just a, I don't have his record offhand, but we could pull it up. I mean, they are an elite. NCAA tournament team. I think they're seven and three, for example, in their last 10 NCAA tournament games, despite being only about five and five every 10 games in the ACC. I mean, they just play better uh, this time of year. Beheim gets his guys ready. I know Calmness is certainly a factor. He has obviously been been there around the block a little bit. So he, you know, at 76 years old, he, he can just kind of walk into a game and not to say they don't prepare, but he can you know, he's been in pretty much every situation that's going to happen, right? And he's prepared for a lot of great teams. And it's it's almost like not to downplay the next opponent, but he's probably seen a better team or a more difficult matchup before. Um, that said, you know, I think a lot of, you know, at least a portion of the fan base is, is frustrated with, like you said, that alluded to that, that regular season record. Um, you know, they have a five-star recruit coming in uh, this year in Benny Williams, first five-star in almost seven years. Uh, so that's a, an encouraging sign. We'll see what they do with the transfer portal. Um, no doubt they're recruiting. They haven't gotten the four and five star guys they, they used to get. They only have one top 100 recruit on the team right now in Kadari Richmond. Um, that said, I mean, again, they've here they are, right? Just one, two weeks ago, I thought they were out. I thought they were an NIT team and they, they come around and win, you know, three or four and beat UNC team. They've lost to 10 of the previous 11 matchups and then beat Clemson dominate NC State that had won five in a row and then they almost beat the best team in the ACC basically a one possession game you know he is the shot you tip your cap so it's uh just when you think they're they're done NIT a couple years in a row they'll they'll probably go to the sweet 16 right and so that's that's to their credit and and I think you know if you're a Q's fan you have every right to be frustrated with some of the, the regular seasons have gone uh, at the same time you can't really argue with with some of what what they've been able to do in March you know I don't know if you enjoy it as much as everybody on the outside does the discourse between Bayheim and reporters. And I know you've gotten caught up in some of it too, but that, but that is not exclusive to, you know, the, the age of 76 for Bayheim. My buddies who went to Syracuse, who had, when they were at WAER in the early two thousands, were getting it from Bayheim for some of the questions they would ask. So it's just kind of, who he has been, I guess. Um, let me ask you. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Joseph Gerard the Third, Matthew. How does he fit 
in this team going forward. And I'm, I don't just mean this year because a lot of people in the 518 are thinking, where does he fit as a junior or a senior on this team? You mentioned the five-star coming in and some of the guys that Beheim will bring in who will challenge him, Richmond's one of them, for a backcourt spot. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess I would start with something the Hall of Famer said on Wednesday after Joe had a pretty good game. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I would guess – you know, number of, of solid jumpers, contested shots, kind of the, the JG3 of old that you all are used to seeing, obviously, in high school. But even Syracuse fans yep. got to see last year a little bit. Uh, it was only an 18 and 14 team last season. But Joe kind of showed snippets of the four-year college potential star he could be. And I still think he has that in him. Um, uh, but something Jim Beheim said Wednesday was basically, and I'm paraphrasing, is I have a lot of confidence in him. I'm going to be really loyal to him. Um, he did a lot for us last year, and I think he can be a, a really good player for us. Jim Bam has, has been unwavering in his confidence in his sophomore guard. Um, that said, you know, Joe will be the first to tell you he's struggled this year. He's been up and down. In fairness, he had COVID during the you know, right around New Year's. So, you know, take take everything with that in mind. And, again, I've, I've been critical of him at times. I think the decision-making hasn't been – what, what I think he's capable of. I think the shot selection hasn't always been there. Some of the turnovers, some of the defensive lapses. Um, and that's coming from a place of I know how good he is, you know, and I know where he can be when he's fully locked in. We saw it last year. Uh, and I think there's a bounce back in store for him. I, I do. I think he works really hard. He's a really good shooter. Um, you know, he's a guy who certainly would be a longtime college player. Obviously, he'll have the opportunity now to play an extra year. Everyone gets that additional year. He could be a five-year Syracuse player. Uh, he's already beloved by the, by the CNY fan base, so uh, that would obviously give him the potential to, to have another NCAA tournament run, uh, more stats, and just kind of be etched in people's memory for, for a longer time. But, you know, he, he's been, again, up and down this year. It's hard to know what to make of it. He did have the COVID. They had a couple pauses just when you think he's turning the corner, he'll have a, a rough game. Um, so, you know, I want to be fair to, to Joe, but um, he, I think he would be the first to tell you he, he needs to be better on both ends of the floor. Uh, that said, yeah, Kadari Richmond is is arguably one of the most talented, if not the most talented player, highest upside on the team, 6'5", guard, 6'10", wingspan. A number of NBA teams have already uh, inquired about him just for the next couple of Draft class is not this year. He's not ready, of course, but next couple. Uh, he's not nearly the shooter Joe Girard is at all, but he is a guy who can get to the rim and he can defend. He's one of the best defenders um, in the country, definitely the conference. So he'll be vying for position. I think moving forward, though, based on what Beheim has said, it's Joe's position. Uh, that starting point guard is Joe's spot to at least win or lose. He's in the driver's seat at this point. Uh, and, and look, it doesn't really matter as much who starts. I think Kadari certainly deserves a lot of time. But if it means Joe is off the bench next year, he can still come in and be a really key role player who can come in and hit three, four threes just like that, you know, 12 points. And and that's that's valuable, especially for a team that, you know, can make the big dance. Chris and I touched on this before you jumped on, but it's been a long time since we've seen an NCAA tournament with the pandemic wiping out last year. Give us your overall thoughts, maybe a team that you really have circled right now to win it all, and maybe a sleeper pick, somebody who guys aren't really talking about, who you think could make a serious run in this thing. Yeah, I mean, I might, you know, barring COVID, throw Syracuse in just because, like, anytime I count them out as a run, 
you know, when I was in school, even they, they go to the, the final four and 16, <laughs> uh, 2018, I thought for sure they weren't getting in. I was in the, going for a walk in the park. It was a nice day three years ago, you know, selection Sunday. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get away from the screens going for a walk. My phone's blowing up. They're in the big dance playing game. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but I knew that team was had such a good defense that, you know what, maybe they win a couple. And sure enough, they went three. Um, so I, I would probably throw Syracuse in there. Obviously, I'm close to the team. So I'm, that's kind of in my mind. Uh, other than them, I'd say Alabama. I mean, they've been exceptional. Nate Oates, a, you know, a Buffalo guy. Um, just, just He wins everywhere, high school level comes to Buffalo, their dominant sweet 16 year, I think, goes to Alabama, what year, I think this is year two for him. They're just completely dominant in the SEC, first title in almost 20 years in that conference. If that doesn't speak to, to him as a coach, I, you know, I don't know. He's analytically driven, great motivator. He's great, great in interviews, great with the media, articulate, smart, you know, will tell you anything basically about the game plan. He's terrific. Um, and then as far as, um, Champion, I think this is Gonzaga's year. Mark Few has never won that national title. It's kind of hanging over his resume, just like it was over Jim Beheim's resume until 2003, right? Um, just kind of that thing that they don't have. And I think Mark Few is one of the best coaches. You know, it speaks for itself. Uh, they have 20-something straight NCAA tournament appearances. You can pick, you know, you can nitpick and say they don't play the best teams uh, in their conference and they're entering the tournament undefeated, but they've beaten some good teams. They just beat BYU after a halftime deficit. They beat a number of teams in, early in the year, I think Virginia included. Yeah. Um, so I would pick Gonzaga as I think this is the year they go to the national championship game four years ago, elite eight, I think a couple times in the last five years. I think this is the year they finally break through fingers crossed, you know, no positive cases in the big dance. Matt, what you get out of here on this one, man. Uh, the rock man, as we call him, Frank Rocco. Should they let Syracuse play Georgia Tech? I, this speaks to a larger question. We were having a conversation before you came on that if what if a team advances in the NCAA tournament a la Virginia and pop a positive test, do you have teams come back and advance or do you just push teams through the way the ACC is with Georgia Tech? And they did obviously with Florida State as well. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I mean, not to not to dismiss it. I, I really appreciate the thought there. It's just that I think this is something that would have had to be decided beforehand. Like this is our contingency, and you know, Cuse is already back in Syracuse. I mean, obviously they have a charter. They could they could fly down there, I guess, and, and play tonight. Just you know, they got a test. I mean, the fact that Virginia had a player yesterday that was on the court who tested positive. You know, you probably want to play it safe there, and Syracuse probably shouldn't play another team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just being safe here, and again, I I really like that idea. I kind of thought of that that too. It's just I don't know how logistically that would work, and I don't think it would it would make sense at this point. Um, it's so late. You know, it's already Friday afternoon, basically. Um, it'll be interesting to see though moving forward, right? I mean, this is a good reminder. Um, you know, the, the contact tracing is, is so important. The NCAA tournament needs to just keep that bubble tight air, I mean, airtight to get these games in because you just can't afford, you know, a player, a coach, you know, a coach's wife, the, the hotel, um, you know, receptionist getting it, giving yep. it to a player. I mean, there's so many just – you could be almost bulletproof and still have some contact points. So just fingers crossed, right? I mean, Cuse, Cuse was – 
really good about the protocols this year. And they still had almost half the team was tested positive at one point, yeah. including the head coach, you know? And so it's like, at that point, you just, you're doing the best you can. And you could be quote unquote reckless or, or have, you know, probably parties and maybe no one would test positive. It's, it's almost, it's almost just throwing it out of a hat. Right. I mean, who knows um, what can happen. So again, fingers crossed, we can just get these games in. All right, Matt, will you stay healthy as well, man? We appreciate the time here. And uh, Syracuse fans everywhere are hoping you go for a walk in the park this Sunday because I guess that means they get in. <laughs> yeah, right. Bodes well for them. So we'll see, man. Thank you so much for having me. Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic with us here. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I wish I could say, Bags, that, that Matthew's going to have a stress-free selection Sunday, but clearly he won't. Syracuse is on the bubble, I think – and this is an ACC bias back to the Big East days, I would put Syracuse in. The, the merit for me is they're a team that's dangerous. They're a team that has proven themselves in the NCAA tournament. I know we can talk quad one wins all day long, and we can even debate whether or not NC State should be a quad one win. They probably shouldn't be. But at 16-9 in the ACC, 10-8 and eight, given the, the tournament victories and loss, Put them in for me, man. Make them an 11 seed the way they are, fine. Yeah. But I wouldn't put them in a play-in game. Let me throw up Lunardi's current bracketology here, Bags. Give me your thoughts here. You think Syracuse should be in unequivocally? I think they should be in. I don't like your logic of, you know, because they can do some damage or because they've been a good tournament team in the past. I think you got to just look at this for what it is this season, stack them up against the other teams, and – and do they deserve to be in the field? And I think when you do that, the answer is yes. I'm okay if they have to play a first four game because, you know what, That's they, they haven't earned more than that, in my opinion. Let this swim around in your brain. Syracuse is part of Lunardi's last four in to play a first four game. Okay, a lot of fours. Uh, what is Kentucky's record? 16 losses this year. Second most, I believe, in program history. It's certainly the most under Coach Cal. If you go back to, we showed you this last week, Lunardi's bracketology. Carolina was a 10 seed. He's now got him up to an eight. And North Carolina could win the whole ACC tournament at this point. They only need to win two more games. Uh, and Michigan State was an 11 seed, yes, but they were part of a first four game. Now Lunardi has them, I guess you could say, firmly in on that 11 line. There have been no changes to the top line at all. Those four number one seeds remain the same from last week. Yeah, and and that's those are really the teams we should be spending the most time on. You know, we're, we're looking at teams, and I get it. Uh, you have to with the programs and the history, but a lot of teams, as we mentioned on our show last week, that we're used to seeing have a lot of success in this tournament, probably not going to have that same success this year, right? And and if they if these teams get in, probably not going to stick around for what we're used to seeing them stick around for. And, you know, if we have some different teams in the, the Final Four or the Elite Eight for one year and we can see some other kids and some other coaches have opportunities, then I, I think that'll add some excitement to this tournament as well. I'll wrap up the NCAA tournament conversation here. Jeff wants to know Gonzaga-Baylor final. I'm going to say no, because those are the top overall two seeds. I, if, if And again, I'm going to go back to like being biased on, on past performance. If this were 
Duke and Carolina as the top overall seeds, you might be more willing to get me to say yes. Baylor's really good. If, if one of these teams doesn't reach the final, Shawnee, I think it's Gonzaga. And I love the Zags. And okay. Jalen Suggs is a top three pick, man. That guy is a really good pro. I think Baylor's better. Mm-hmm. So if I had to knock one of them out, I would knock the Zags out. Given that we don't really see the Blue Bloods, the big successful type teams, w- would you be shocked if one or even zero number one seeds made it? You'd be shocked if zero made it to the Final Four. I would be surprised. What about one? Only one makes it. No, because you know I, I'm not ready to tell you I know everything there is to know about Illinois. If they don't get there, I'll say, okay. Um, Michigan's very good. I would think two are going to get there this okay. year. All right. I would I would put money on two getting there this year. All right, let's take one final break. When we come back, there are rule changes coming to baseball. Ugh. Do we like any of them? <laughs> That's next on Honorado and Magnardi. Depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, <laughs> just say Dillagaff. Our clothing line puts the F.U. back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagaff isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com. This wasn't my first vehicle, so I wanted something cool, stylish, and dependable. The process was so easy and comfortable. I lead an active lifestyle, my days are busy, and I need a vehicle I can depend on and enjoy driving. As soon as I test drove the Honda Passport from Mohawk Honda, I knew it was the perfect vehicle for me. I love technology, and this Passport has it all. I'm Cassie from Boston Spa. That's my story, and this is my Mohawk Honda, where they really do go out of their way to please you. Now back to Honorado and Bagnardi. We're driven by Mohawk Honda and Mohawk Chevrolet. Mohawk Honda on Route 50 in Glenville. Mohawk Chevy right off exit 9 in Clifton Park. Bags, you know baseball can't just leave it alone. And they shouldn't. There are things to improve upon. But is the commissioner choosing the right things to nitpick? Here are some of this is Jeff Passon's report this morning on ESPN. Here are some things that baseball is test driving, if you will, at the minor league level to decide whether or not they want to bring it up to the big leagues. They're going to ban some of the defensive shifts, Shawnee. Okay. Fielders with both feet on the dirt at all times. That's at the double A level only. Okay. So you have to have four guys with both feet in the dirt at all times. You can't have your second baseman or shortstop playing a softball type position in short right field. Okay. No, no more of that. Well, you could, but but you got to have at least four guys really technically on the end. All right. Let's do these one at a time. Go ahead. You like that one? That doesn't bother me. That doesn't, it doesn't, bother, doesn't me. bother me either. Here's why I'm hesitating because. I don't generally like when a league tells a team the type of strategy they can use to try to win a game. Okay, but it's like 
So what we saw in the NBA, you know, I never liked the illegal defense when they basically were not allowing you to play zone. I thought that was stupid. Yep. The defensive three seconds sort of turned into a, a compromise there. Um, look, infielders should be on the infield, shouldn't they? I mean, it's like in certain sports, you you do have areas on the field where where guys can't be standing. I mean, you have areas on the field where you can't go. I mean, I, I'm okay with. I'm okay with this essentially being like an offsides type of thing here. Like you're an infielder. You got to stay in the infield. Yeah. I think I, I like where you're going here. And I think the best example is like an offensive lineman downfield, right? You, the old lineman can only go so far downfield. He is boxed in to a degree. And, and, and maybe that's how I should view the defensive shift. I don't like the shift. Don't get me wrong. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But it has worked in enough instances for teams to implement it quite frequently that it's part of the strategy of the game. And now you're eliminating some of that strategy. It's as if you were to tell a guy he can only throw to first base a certain number of times every at-bat. And that's exactly what baseball wants to do at the bottom of your screen. And that is to eliminate some, uh, I'm sorry, right in the middle there. And that's the pickoff attempt. And again, only at low A. So this is not, to me, something that Manfred is seriously considering. Um, But again, it's it's messing with the strategy of the game. I don't – there's something in me that just doesn't love that. No, I don't like that either. I don't like that either. I I do like the – the third failed attempt will be a balk. So it's like, you want to do it a third time, be our guest, but if you don't get them out, yes, then there's punishment. Exactly. Funny. Um, yeah, this this one here, look, can it be annoying when a guy throws over, you know, six times? Yeah, it can be. But it's not about what's annoying to you, okay? Like if you're annoyed by a pitcher trying to throw over and get a guy out, and that to me, that's part of the game the core of the game. So I, I would not, I would not change that. I think you should be able to throw over as many times you want, or look, you know, then after two times, the guy can't take as big a lead, right? Like, you know, that, that's not, I don't like that because now you're, now you're giving the base runner a real advantage to know that after you've thrown over twice, he basically has a head start to go, which maybe, Maybe that's the point because they they want to encourage more base stealing uh, chances, which, and I'm skipping over one completely because one's just kind of leading us into the other here. And that is why (laughs) you're probably laughing at this one. That's why they're making the bases larger as well. It, It brings you three inches closer and baseball thinks that maybe that will encourage some more base stealing opportunities from teams. If we make the bags bigger, it's a shorter distance to get there. Guys might be more willing to take a chance on the base paths, which inherently makes the sport more exciting. I like it from this perspective. I I don't know that it changes strategy. Here's why I like this. It makes the game safer. You're You're not going full speed down the first baseline and lunging to hit a smaller bag and then potentially getting that hyperextended knee or rolling an ankle or sliding off it the way you might currently. I like the larger bag. I've said forever they should be flat. They should find a way to have a flat base 
and not one that pops up out of the ground because it's too dangerous. So if this makes it safer for guys, I'm all in. No, leave the bases alone. Leave the bases alone. That's a part of the. That's a part of the equipment of the game that has been that way. Like, like, don't tell me. Don't change the size of the baseball or the bases or come on, right? Leave the base alone. Safety be damned, Chris. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that. Gloves have evolved. Catcher's equipment has evolved. Helmets have evolved. Yeah, but that's different evolved. Okay, but that's different because those are for the individual, right? Like the base is a part of the field. It's it's like it's like the rim, like uh, on a basketball court. It's that's mm. what it is. It's like the goalpost. Th- those are universal. Those are those are part of the field of play. Whereas the other stuff you're talking about for each individual player. So no, I say leave the base alone. That's okay. the that's the core of the game to me. Don't mess with the core. That actually wasn't a bad comparison. Um all right, do you like the electronic strike zone? We'll take these one at a time. Both are going to be implemented at the low A level. You like electronic strike zone or you want a human back there calling balls and strikes? I'm I'm slowly turning around on this one. I used to be no what the humans call it. Um I'm I'm not ready to fully jump on board with electronic strike zone, but I think I probably will be in another year or two. I I think that as the technology advances and it's likely right now already more accurate than putting a guy back there. Yep. There's there's no doubt. I hope the point of like tennis where it's that real super accurate in or is it out on the line or like we see in soccer, is it past, the goal line or isn't it if we can get to that level of accuracy where I can see a real nice CG of the ball coming in and exactly where it is because right now it's like a little a little dot going over a box and it's like yeah trust us that was in no I need a little bit more than that to be sold on it but I think ultimately it's more accurate and therefore better for the game and I I like the idea of the electronic strike zone here if they're going to make it large enough. Let's expand that strike zone with the human element involved. Sometimes certain batters get certain calls. Sometimes certain pitchers get certain calls. Let's make it universal, uniform, and let's make it large. Let's make it large so that everything isn't 400 feet over a wall somewhere. How about a 15-second pitch clock? We were talking 20-second pitch clock only a couple of years ago, now baseball is like, you know what? We need to speed this thing up even more. And you and I certainly don't disagree. You're like a pitch clock. Yeah, and that, I agree we need to speed up the game more. I don't think this is the way. And I think 15 is is too short. And it winds up becoming almost too frenetic. It's like, it'd be like if you're watching a basketball game and, and they made the shot clock 10 seconds, which I know in today's NBA might not be a big deal, but that's how, that's how much of a difference it would feel like things are being increased here, even though it's probably not that drastic. And if you look at the exact time in between pitches, 15 is probably reasonable. But when you go from no clock to a clock with like 15, I think that makes it feel like that big jump like if the NBA were to go to a 10-second shot clock, we would feel like all of a sudden now there's this super fast pace and it would it would dramatically change, I think, the approach and how you even watch a game. And I'm I'm not a I'm not on board with that. 
like watching a game in fast speed, fast forward. Yeah, it's too much. That that's that's too much. Uh, before I get your final thought here on our way out, I want to know, Bags, what's the biggest, most impactful NBA name on the move? Blake Griffin is already with your Nets. LaMarcus Aldridge is leaving San Antonio. He's not going to resign there, and the Spurs are seeking trade partners. P.J. Tucker, news this morning. He will not be back with Houston. I don't think he plays ever again for the Rockets. They're actively looking for a trade for P.J. Tucker. Three guys who can really positively impact the home stretch of the season and a playoff run. Who do you like best out of those three? Best out of those three, probably P.J. Tucker. But I'll say this about the Blake Griffin. Now that we know where you know we know where he is, and yep. it's in Brooklyn, and we can look at exactly how that piece fits in that situation. And I really love that pick, that pickup for the Nets because they need a little size. Okay, he's a guy who's a six-time All Star who's going to be playing with other All Stars. I think he's going to be somewhat rejuvenated in coming there. He's not going to be asked to do too much. They have their positions right now where they use like DeAndre Jordan, Nicholas Claxton. They set them up in that dunker position a lot, and they're going to be active in pick and rolls. And that's exactly, exactly the kind of thing that Blake Griffin can do and be successful on. And then look, he's a big body to throw at Joel Embiid, to throw at Giannis when you get to the playoffs. They need some of that size. So I really, really like the pickup here. For Brooklyn, and I've never been super high on Blake Griffin. I just think what he brings to this team, I think it fits really well, and I am excited about it. Would you have rather had Aldridge? No. Okay. Okay. Good enough. All right, Bags. This time next week, man, we'll be into the NCAA tournament. Cannot wait. Looking Take forward to it. Just keep everybody healthy and safe, and and let's get this thing going. Can't wait for the brackets on Sunday. Yes. Can't wait for all the time I waste next week at work and away from work debating which 12 seed is going to advance over right. five. For two years since we filled out a bracket, and it feels like 10. Is there a 14 or a 15 that pulls a first-round upset? Can't wait for that. All right, buddy. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, we will see everybody next week right here on Honorado and Bagnardi before – the first round games are played. Stay tuned, everyone. Stay healthy.